how did you treat people this past week? Now, as we answer this, I, I want you to really scroll through your minds. Go back seven days of this week. Think about it. How did you treat people this past week? If you're married, how did you treat your partner? If you have kids at home, how did you treat your kids this week? If you uh, were at the checkout line at the store, and you always are like me, you end up in the one that's the longest, okay, uh, how did you treat that person at the checkout counter? Uh, the per- people at work, where you work, how did you treat them this week? How did you talk to them? How did you speak to them? Did you tell anybody off this week? Did you hurt somebody with words? Did you look down judgmentally or with contempt upon some other person this week? Did you sting anybody this week with some words that you spoke? Or did you just flat out ignore someone? Now, I am not trying to be nosy. You know what? I think, yeah, maybe I am. (laughs) Okay. I am probing. I am trying to be nosy here today. Uh, Because I have another question. How did you treat God this past week? And surprisingly, the answer to that question is the same as you treated all the people that you saw, that you encountered and interacted with this week. And that's what Jesus meant in this tremendous passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to take a look at it. Uh, it's Jesus in this passage is talking about the day at the end of history when we all stand before God to be judged. And so what he's saying is that a primary concern of God, when we stand before him at the end of history, here's what's going to be on God's heart. Listen to what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats over on the left. Then the king will say to those who are on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And now listen to this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to drink. eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king, that is Jesus, will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these, the least of of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did that for me. And then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. 
They will, all, they will also answer, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger, needing clothes, sick, in prison? When, when did we not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, well, then you failed to do it to me too. So what Jesus is saying here is absolutely revolutionary. It is astounding. And you know what? If, this, if we caught this, if this, were, it, 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 this would completely change the world because Jesus is, is talking about a whole new foundation upon which a society is built. You know, Jesus was really a very, very smart guy. <laughs> He's talk, it's, this is a revolutionary foundation for a whole new way of going about life. And here's the principle, that God so closely identifies with all people that the way we treat any other person is identical to the way we are treating him. The people I have encountered this past week, the people you have encountered this past week, I don't care who they were or where they were, the way you treated that person is the way you treated Jesus Christ. Jesus is showing us the foundation of society that we're all going to live in someday when he brings that great kingdom, that great eternal city we've been talking about. When that city comes to earth, that's the, that's the way society is going to function. But we live in a broken, messed up place right now. And so Jesus has called us this whole gospel in life series we're in. Living out this gospel, this good news, this whole new way of going about loving and valuing people. That's what the church is all about as we go about our way, meeting people, working with people, being family and friends. So I want to come back to this question for a second. Because it puts it into perspective. How, as Christians, how do we want to treat the Lord? And I know every single one of us would say... Well, I want to treat the Lord with deep love. I want to treat the Lord with respect and reverence and awe. I want to say to God, God, you are awesome. But according to Jesus, if our heart is right with God, then those are the very same ways we're going to treat other people. We're going to treat other people with reverence, with awe, not worshiping the person, but worshiping their maker. But you might say, well, hey, hang on here just a minute. There's a big difference between God and the people I might work with. <laughs> Believe me, there's a huge difference. God is good. God is perfect. God is holy. God deserves our love. God deserves my respect. He deserves to be, to, to, to be in awe of him. But that person at work, he's a million miles away from that. He doesn't deserve any of that. But you know what? Jesus says in this passage, that kind of reasoning is goat-like. It's goat-like reasoning. Because Jesus in this passage is not speaking about how a person behaves. He's not speaking about what they might deserve. What he is speaking about is their value as a human being. And he is telling us that the behavior and actions of a person have no effect whatsoever on their value as a person or the way we should value them as a person. 
And so if we value God, their maker, we will value them as God's artwork, his masterpiece. That is sheep-like reasoning. Goats are prejudicial. Goats are preferential in the way they treat people. Goats, sheep value people like God values people. Years and years ago, when our kids were small, I went to a petting zoo with them. And instead of just letting them go into the petting zoo, I just went in with them. And uh, so here we are surrounded with all these very docile, gentle, meek and mild kinds of animals. There were sheep in there, and there were rabbits, and I don't know what else was in there. Just, but, but among them was a goat. Okay, and goat, true to its nature, was acting like a goat. It was belligerent. It was even trying to butt a few people. <laughs> and then somewhere in there, that goat, and I had an encounter. Uh, so, and the goat, I was standing there. It was sort of, you know, dirt on the ground and everything. The goat came up to me and put his, both of his front paws right here on my shoulders. And we sort of had an eye-to-eye <laughs> encounter there for a moment. And he left his marks on me. I have two goat prints on my shirt. So, but, okay, all the other animals were doing fine in there, but the goat, man, was messing things up. So I think that's probably why I went in there in the first place, because I saw that goat in there. Well, now, okay, we Christians, we have got to be really, really careful about any goat-like attitudes that we've allowed to creep into our hearts. You know, they creep in more easily than we might think. I don't know how many of you went to see the movie about Jackie Robinson, 42. If you haven't seen that, man, I highly recommend that movie. Jackie Robinson, of course, breaking that racial barrier in baseball. Just 60, 65 years ago that happened. And, you know, when I saw that movie, and I think the movie was an accurate portrayal of the hostile, hostile racism that he encountered when he, you know, tried, you know, when Branch Rickey, I think it was Branch Rickey, right, brought him in. Uh, people leaving the team, wanting to be traded, uh, just because he was a black ball player. And, you know, this is what occurred to me. It occurred to me that this whole race, racial thing in baseball happened during the time when the United States was still considered to be a Christian nation when there was still a fairly strong Christian consensus in the United States. Now, today, everybody says we live in a post-Christian culture, 60 years later, where Christianity is sort of being marginalized. But this racism occurred when Christianity was sort of holding its own in this culture. And I think all that does is that... uh, The question I had was, how could this kind of treatment of other human beings happen in a nation with a Christian majority. I think that's a lesson to all of us Christians about how easily goat-like attitudes can creep into our view of people and cause us to see them much differently than God does and devalue them. You know, Jesus even added to his list here some whom we would tend to exclude, maybe from our care and our value. 
For instance, he talked about a prisoner. I was a prisoner. Now, the prisoner then, Jesus is saying, I was a criminal. I was a prisoner. He says, stranger. Who's the stranger? Well, the stranger probably is an immigrant or a minority. The hungry and the naked. Well, those that are in poverty. Sometimes we want to draw our circles and put those people outside the circles. But why did Jesus call us to such a radical new way of valuing not some people, not most people, but all people, every person? Well, I want to begin to answer that question by telling you about a lady that I and Pastor Spence and Pastor Alexis met just recently about a week and a half ago. Uh, Her name is Katrin Valencia. She has been a successful attorney in Chicago, working for years in the juvenile court system. She became very well connected with the city leaders, including Alderman Burke, and she is close personal friends with Alderman Burke's wife, Ann Burke, who is one of our state Supreme Court justices. And over the years, uh, Katrin, her leadership, in the juvenile court system has been widely recognized. And so not long ago, she was offered the position of administrating the juvenile court system in Chicago, a strategic position, certainly a career advancement, and with it, all those benefits that come with it, income and recognition and and promotion and all those things. Now, at the same time that this opportunity was offered, she was offered another opportunity to become the administrator of that Dream Center in Chicago that I was referring to a few moments ago. The Dream Center is a Christ-centered ministry that reaches deep into the city's most difficult neighborhoods in the name of Christ to salvage people's lives that are caught up and being destroyed in that cycle of violence, gangs, drugs, poverty, sex trafficking, the stuff we read about in the newspaper and hear about on the news every single day here in Chicagoland. But it was a position offered to her with far, far, far less pay, far less prestige, and certainly far less benefits. Well, Kate, Katrin turned down that city position. She took the Dream Center position. Why did she turn down the opportunity of a lifetime? Now instead of being out at maybe fancy restaurants on Friday nights with other attorney friends and city officials, now there's nothing wrong with going out to a fancy restaurant on Friday night, okay? I'm not against that. Uh, Once in a while I do that too. Uh, So I'm not talking against that, but you see what I'm trying to say. Instead of doing that, Katrin's out on the streets on Friday nights with a a van full of other ladies from the Dream Center, and she's out there handing out those roses to girls and women who are caught up in that cycle of prostitution, ranging from age 12 right on up. These prostitutes who are, they're, they're going out to these street corners. The prostitutes are, believe me, under the very watchful, controlling eye of their pimps. They go right out there anyhow. And they hand that rose out with a card on it attached to that girl saying that they are loved and valued and there's a way out. Here's the Dream Center information. And Katrin, instead of having a fancy office in 
you know, the federal building downtown, a, a fancy skyscraper. Her office, I was there myself, uh, is on the second floor of an old house near Humboldt Park. And that's where we met with her, on the second floor. She, in, in, she introduced us when we stepped in to her office assistant. This is a woman who herself once was caught up in prostitution. But now she has recovered, got her life focused, put back together, and she has that same passion in her heart as Katrin, pouring out her life to reach others. And then after we met with Katrin for a while, she, came, she asked us to come with her to another house down the block. It's an old house, purchased, renovated by the Dream Center. And up on the second floor, we were introduced to six ladies who have been rescued just recently. One of them as recently as just six days before that. Her name was Yolanda. Maybe 18, 17, somewhere in that neighborhood, years old. And that's phase one of the recovery program. There's three other phases that follow. You'll hear about that in a couple weeks. But you know, here's what I, as I was reflecting upon Katrin and why she would make a decision like that, what could motivate a person to do that? You know, here, here was the image I had. You know, Katrin is like one of those art restorers. You know, whenever a museum's been broken into and they, someone's gone up there and just taken some sort of an object and defaced and damaged a, a great masterpiece, a Rembrandt or, you know, a, a Monet or something like that. She's one of those people that they call in a, 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 an art restorer. And they come in and they take that masterpiece that's been defaced and damaged and they bring it back to its beauty. Now, that's, what, that's why Katrin made that decision. She's one of God's masterpiece restorers on the streets of the city of Chicago. Hey, that to me is what this kingdom of God is all about, isn't it? And not, Katrin, you and I, we're masterpiece restorers among the people that we meet, wherever we meet them, and whatever kind of damage we might see in their lives. And most of the time, doesn't, don't damaged people, doesn't, there, doesn't it show up in their behaviors? Sometimes they're very obnoxious behaviors. Sometimes they're cold, they're distanced, they're going to keep an arm's length away from you. They don't want to talk, they're, they're unkind to you. You might have a boss that's a very damaged person. But we're, we're masterpiece restorers in this world. So Katrin turned her back on that opportunity of a lifetime. And she'll tell you more about that in a couple weeks when she's here. There's three words that God speaks again and again in the scriptures that I think also express how he values people and how he calls us to value people. The two of them are mentioned in Micah 6.8. This is what it says. God has showed you, O man or woman, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? Here it is. To act justly. That is to do justice. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Two words, justice and mercy. In fact, all through the scriptures, these two words show up again and again and again together. Justice and mercy. 
The word mercy is simply means God's unconditional love for people, his no-strings-attached love for other people. In other words, mercy, uh, you know, it's not reciprocal love. Reciprocal love is I love you because you love me. And that's wonderful kind of love. That's a great kind of love. But that kind of love is not going to take me to the streets of Chicago uh, because they probably won't love me down there. Uh, mercy love, mercy is love that simply says, I love you because you are you. That's the way God loves. And then the word um, justice means to stand up against the unjust treatment happening in other people's lives to the point of taking action, doing something about it on behalf, uh, to, do, to do what is right for others. And so when you put mercy together with justice, what you have is mercy is the attitude on the inside and justice is the action we take on the outside. And together they... It's love in action. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 to 18. This just shows us the heart of God once again. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. And listen to this. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, the immigrant giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are immigrants and aliens too, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. So mercy and justice, th those, that's God's heart. God makes this clear again in what he said through David in Psalm 68, 4 and 5. This is what he says. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before Him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. That's who God is. And you know, this was radical because in the ancient world, virtually all of the deities in the ancient culture, the power of those deities was channeled through the elite people in the society, the kings and the priests and the generals. But look at what the Lord, look where the Lord identifies. God is, is identifying and seeking to empower who here? The very opposite end of society, the orphan, the widow. God always shows that he stands with the powerless, the forgotten, the suffering, the victims of injustice and deprivation. So why did Katrin take that position in Chicago? I believe it's because God filled her heart with what's in his heart, mercy and justice, to do something about those whose lives are being trampled on and destroyed. But you know, she's doing it for a purpose, and that's where this third word comes in. It's what, when you add mercy and justice together, this is what you come up with. It's a third biblical term. It's the term Shalom. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7. We've used this verse a couple times so far. 
says, seek the peace, there's the word shalom, seek the shalom and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for the Lord to bless it. Pray for the city. For when it prospers, you prosper. A lot of times we think of that word shalom, we just think of that's another word for hello, the way Jewish people say hello. But the word really means peace. But it doesn't mean the kind of peace we often think of as peace. Just, well, okay, the hostilities have just sort of been covered over. That's not... Shalom means this. The total flourishing of every person's life physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. In other words, shalom is the way things ought to be. The way things were originally intended by God to be in the whole fabric of our world and our relationships in society. But we live in a world where shalom has broken down and the fabric of our personal lives and our society as a whole has come apart. It's unraveled. As Christians, we're called to go into our world with this mercy and justice in order to reweave, bring people back to God's shalom, salvation into all levels of people's brokenness. That's why we love people in their physical distress, their emotional distress, their relational distress, and ultimately, spiritual needs. That's where it ultimately comes down to. We want to bring them to Christ. But we meet them at all levels, levels of their need. So here's, here's what this comes down to this morning. Jesus is showing us in his word that having a strong awareness of the needs of people around us and then a heart that is motivated by mercy and justice to get in there and do something about it. That is the evidence of a deep relationship with God. I think what Jesus is showing us in Matthew 25 is that mercy and justice, that's the index by which we measure how deep our faith is in Christ. That's the measure about how close I am to God how much God's heart is in me. Is, is, am I showing mercy? Am I valuing people like he does and then wanting to do something about it? So if we could take something away from this message today, I guess here's the way I'd want to close it. And I take, I take this, these thoughts right here from Timothy Keller who wrote a great book called Generous Justice. You might want to read that book. But here's what he says. God identifies with the suffering, the forgotten, and the oppressed people. How far did God go to identify with those who are labeled forgotten and insignificant? Well, Jesus came to earth. He was born in a feeding trough. He lived and ate and associated with people of the lowest class of society. And at the end of his life, he rode into town on a borrowed donkey, ate his last meal in a borrowed room, and when he died, he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But the Lord not only became one who was overlooked and insignificant, he also became oppressed as a victim of injustice. Jesus' arrest, his trial, they were completely miscarriages of all kinds of justice. So Jesus did not just suffer for us. He suffered with us. 
And in a world filled with injustice, we have a God who subjected himself to it. And what this means is this, that on the last day, when we stand before Jesus someday, if we raise these questions to him, Lord, when did we ever see you naked? When did we ever see you thirsty? When did we ever see you as a prisoner? Here's what Jesus would be able to say to us. Well, don't you remember? They took my clothes away and gambled over them. I was naked. I said on the cross, I said, I'm thirsty. They stuck some vinegar in my mouth. I was a prisoner. That's why they put me on that cross. So Jesus identifies when he's talking about what he's talking about in Matthew 25 when he says, I identify with the hungry, the need. Jesus came and he lived in all that. And so isn't it something that everything always comes back to the cross? The gospel of Jesus, who valued every person so much that he was willing to come and die for every single person on that cross all the people you and I know and all the people we're going to meet this week in order to salvage and restore their lives for this world and the world to come, to bring them back to shalom, God's wholeness. And so we who have begun to experience this shalom of the Lord coming into our lives through, through Christ, our mission now is to go out into our worlds into this unraveled world and begin reweaving this shalom, this gospel of Jesus Christ into people's lives through the words that we share about Jesus and the works we do that show his love. Closing thought. Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for shalom in your life. You're looking for wholeness in your life to replace the emptiness and the brokenness that you feel inside. I just want you to know that this Jesus Christ, he died for you, he rose again for you. He's here in this room today and if you will invite him by faith to come into your life, Jesus Christ will come in and when he does, he will begin to rebuild your life. He'll, he, he'll bring shalom, begin to rebuild that in your life from the inside out. And you'll become a new person. Christ followers, here's our homework for this week. To intentionally, with God's help, go into this week knowing that every single person you meet, when you see that person, you're looking at a masterpiece of God. That in a sense, you should stand in awe of. Now, it might be a really beat-up and scarred masterpiece. It might be a damaged masterpiece. But let's go intentionally to see people that way and knowing that you are sent into that person's life to be a masterpiece restorer, showing them the love of Jesus Christ and at every opportunity, sharing the message of how Jesus Christ can restore their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you love us and care for us beyond what we could imagine. And Father, um, we 
we submit ourselves to this calling. And Lord, we know it's only by your love and grace, your mercy and justice filling our hearts. Lord, we don't have that within ourselves. Lord, we're, we're pretty good at reciprocal love, Lord. We can love those that love us. We can like those that like us. We can treat others that treat us well. We can treat them well. Lord, we're pretty decent at that. We can handle that. But Lord, when it comes to this other kind of love that does unbelievable stuff, even to the point of turning down uh, a big promotion, Lord, that's foreign to our fallen human nature. But Lord, it is your nature. And so, Father, we've received your Son. He's living in us as the people of God. And so now we want to surrender our lives to him to the extent that we lay aside that old reciprocal basis for loving others and we take on the very nature of Jesus Christ as our foundation for loving others. So, Father, help us, each one of us, to go into our world this week. We may encounter some really tough situations, some very tough people. Lord, help us to see underneath all that and to realize, Lord, that we're looking at a masterpiece that's, that's in need of restoration. So, Father, help us to have that view and that vision, that care. Help us to be sheep-like in our assessment of others. Use us, Lord, and bless us and help us. So, Father, uh, if there's one here today that is feeling uh, their life is empty and and sort of damaged and hurt, Lord Jesus, you are here in this room. Listen to them, Lord, as as they surrender their lives to you, as they invite you to come into their life, Lord Jesus, come and reveal yourself to them as their Savior the one who forgives their sins, the one who gives them everlasting life. And Father, we thank you for these wonderful riches and gifts that we have in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.